When looking for monuments, most of the time we look up. But many artists have employed other strategies from the ground up to use concrete, bricks, or infrastructure to make their presence felt. Nicola Y did just that. She's an artist and educator, born in Trinidad, based in New York and Austin, where she teaches at the University of Texas. She was walking down the street and got hit with inspiration for a monument proposal poster that takes on the legacies of Columbus, colonialism, and the dialectic of exploration and exploitation. And all of a sudden, I saw it. I saw this access grill point as in the shape of Columbus that said reclaimed water on it <laughs> and that had Columbus's name on the bottom. The result, a wise monument proposal reclaimed water CC'd engages the question of what to do with the role of Columbus. A wise reclaimed water CC'd is included in the Highline Joint Art Network's New Monuments for New Cities. Over the last six months, Monument Lab has been research residents of the project, and we're speaking with artists from each of the five partner cities, New York, Chicago, Austin, Houston, and Toronto, about memory monuments and public space. I'm Paul Farber, and this is Monument Lab. Welcome to Monument Lab, a public art and history podcast. Each episode, we explore stories and critical conversations around the past, present, and future of monuments. We speak to people on the front lines, building the next generation of public spaces through stories of social justice and equity. Here are the monumental people, places, and ideas of our time. Nicole Owai, welcome to the Monument Lab podcast. Hi. It's great to have you. I want to start by having you describe your monument proposal for new monuments for new cities. Okay. Um, Well, it's interesting how this came about. Uh, When I was asked to do this project initially, um, I think I was a little confused I had just been asked and had just executed something that seemed very, very um, similar for the New York Times. I was asked to um, uh, sort of uh, uh, conceptualize or think about um, a monument that could uh, replace uh, Confederate monuments that had been recently removed um, by the New York Times for an Op-ed as opposed, I mean, an op-art as opposed to an op-editorial. This is the monuments for a new era? Yes, and that's what made it a little confusing (laughs) when when she asked, because it sounded, when they asked, because it sounded like the same project, really, in essence. Um, So that project was uh, myself, Dred Scott, uh, Titus Kaffer, Kenya Robinson, Ariel Jackson, and Akeem Ijomia. And we 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 proposed uh, these uh, <laughs> these suggestions for for new monuments, a uh, range of very interesting proposals that uh, uh, were um, were very very. Uh, besides being, I think uh, they were entertaining as well as sort of being on point. And then you get a call from the Highline Network. Where did your mind go? Uh, 
I think I was a little sort of confused because I saw it as first as the same project. Um, and then I think while I thought about it longer, um, I realized that it wasn't exactly the same, or at least my thinking about it could be different. Uh, I think with the proposal for the New York Times, I was sort of really physically thinking of something to to replace these things as opposed to, you know, um, more why these things need to be replaced or, or, or don't need to be replaced. And I think once I started about thinking about it sort of like in a bigger way, um, I saw it as a different project. Can you describe your monument proposal and poster? So here, actually, I think I need to kind of tell you a little bit about how it came about before I can sort of describe it, because then it'll make more sense as to why I did what I did. Um, I, I think once I understood that it wasn't quite the same project and I started to think about it more holistically, not as sort of just a direct response to that whole Charlottesville incident, but really seeing it on a global scale. I think it started to resonate for me from um, the, uh, the monument in Columbus Circle here in New York. And at the time, the mayor was, you know, was trying to decide whether that should be taken down or not. And me realizing that really this was an international discussion that monuments to Columbus were being taken down or being considered to be taken down all over. There was one in upstate New York, I think in Syracuse that had been taken down. There was one in Minnesota that had been taken down and there was a petition out to have replaced with a monument to Prince, which I think was just fabulous. You know, uh, even in um, Puerto Spain, Trinidad, where I'm from originally, there was, you know, d- discussions and arguments about taking down uh, uh, one of the Columbus um, statues there as well. So it, it's really all over the Americas and all over the world. Um, other, you know, sort of related discussions in South Africa around, you know, monuments to roads, you know, in France. It's just all over. We're in this moment of sort of reconsidering things. What do these things mean? Uh, And I think once I realized that, it became clear to me that I needed to think about this in a much sort of bigger way. There are many sides to this conversation, to this argument of whether you remove things or not, whether you're erasing history um, or, or, or you're changing the history. Um, so I think with that in mind, it made it very simple for me. And I was in Austin and I was walking downtown, um, just behind the newly, uh, constructed, uh, library downtown, beautiful library. And I looked down on the ground and I saw one of these, um, I guess, access grill points, um, and it said on on top of it, it said uh, reclaimed water. And all of a sudden, idea popped into my head what my poster should be. And this is a poster image, right? This is not actually a proposal for a monument. It has to be something that resonates as a poster image. And all of a sudden, I saw it. I saw this access grill point as in the shape of Columbus that said reclaimed water on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that had Columbus's name on the bottom. And I just happened to be, so I took a picture and I just happened when I took, actually when I took it picture and I went home and I was looking at the picture, the other sort of crazy irony was that 
I was wearing my pair of um, Superga um, sneakers, which is a contemporary band of Italian casual footwear. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, oh my God, this is just hysterical. And I just saw it all there. I, I thought of a monument at our feet, a monument that didn't just resonate with the past, but I hoped with the present moment and sort of considering all of these arguments, you know, and the total history of, of what is going on. Um, you know, I, it just popped into my head. It, it sort of also recalled for me in the late 90s when, the, you know, we first had the protest against the Columbus holiday where we produced those posters, you know, remember the ones that wanted Christopher Columbus for, you know, um, crimes against humanity, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that just came into my head. So there it was <laughs> on the floor, the ground. And um, I sort of um, sort of collaged uh, the whole image sort of based on that photograph, but, you know, old school cut and paste paint collage. And that was how I came about with the poster. You're describing this encounter of walking down the street and, mm-hmm. you know, in the poster, we, as you say, we see your feet. As you look down, you're describing this kind of as a as a vision. When you were looking at this uh, reclaimed water grate, was it the language of reclaimed water? Was it the shape and the vision of what you saw? How did you kind of make that jump from encountering this like thing you walk over every day to uh, a powerful monumental um, intervention? It was the words reclaimed water. You know, it, the reclaimed water spoke to everything for me. This idea of the way that we think of Columbus and the discovery of the new world and sort of, you know, uh, the expanse of, of the ocean that divided Europe from the new world and discovering the new world and everything that was lost in those waters, including, um, you know, the human bodies and triangular trade, you know, which, which, you know, is basically human trafficking, all of that, it just, it just spoke to, you know, um, this whole idea around um, sort of uh, discovery and claiming and economy and capitalism and the reason why the Americas is the Americas, you know, um, it just seems such a t- total phrase, you know, reclaimed water. And this idea of reclaiming these monuments now or uh, reinforming them, it's just, just completely came to mind when I saw those words. I, I know that your proposal comes from a point of that it doesn't ever have to be built and there's there's a freedom to that. And of course, when I see it, I not only think that it's it's possible and I really want to see it happen, but there, um, you know, there's a, a seriousness and a criticality, but it's also, uh, it's also funny. Did, is that something that, how did you pick up on that as you were thinking through this proposal? Yeah, for, you know, for me, humor is important. You know, we have to maintain, <laughs> it's almost, humor is almost like, um, a means to maintain like order <laughs> because you know uh, we can't always be 
angry, upset, crying. <laughs> um, so we have to laugh. And I think humor also helps us sort of redirect uh, us to a place of, um, of understanding and um, once again, of connectedness and unity. This is so um, the post is called Reclaim Water Sea Seed. And that sea seed is, you know, Christopher Columbus as an action, you know, <laughs> of what Christopher Columbus's <laughs> legacy has done to all of us in every way, you know. Um, but it's also a means for us to see both sides. You know, I, you know, I, I remember you know, when people first started this protest against Columbus in the late 90s, you know, I always thought about, you know, there's, there's, there's many sides to this and how, you know, people's perspectives would be different the way that, you know, you're hoping that Italian-Americans don't see it as an attack on them. You know, the Italian-American contribution to American culture is huge, you know. Um, it's like, you know, even if we bring it down to pizza, uh, what would our lives be without that? <laughs> you know, it's like there's so much that's there. It's not just this, um, you know, place of condemnation. So I think humor is so important to see the sort of multiple sides of things. You know, um, the CC also relates to, you know, this whole idea of um, time passing and technologies, you know. Um, CC is carbon copied, and then that term moved from from that into the world of the internet, you know, and email. When CC is still sort of copy, you know, the idea of carbon copying, copying something, you're CC'd on an email. Um, so it also sort of spoke to sense of time, and I was trying to make, um, you know, an image, something that will give the viewer this feeling of the past and the present, but also sort of transversing time as well. As you were saying, we're in this moment of uh, important contestation over symbols, especially those of Columbus and the work to remove Columbus monuments, to contest them, to think about other named sites. You found another way to deal with this critical question how do you compare your provocation here with the other calls to remove or successful um, efforts like the one I'm thinking in Los Angeles, uh, the removal of a of a actual Christopher Columbus statue? You know, it's a process. It's a process of consideration. I think actually, I think history, you know, I think we probably have gone through this you know, different stages of human history. I think all of this is necessary. Removing things, keeping things, you know, whatever makes us conscious of the moment. And we're in a moment of consciousness or, you know, being awoken. Um, so I think, I think all of these sort of gestures are valid ones. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say I'm so taken with your poster. <laughs> I'm, I think in part because there is, um, on one hand, the expectation that you look up to a monument. Mm -hmm. And on the other, there's a great tradition of 
critical artwork that demands that you figure out where you're standing mm -hmm. and you look down. And mm -hmm. that includes the, you know, Stumblestone project in, in Germany and the mm -hmm. rest of Europe um, and other places that make you pause. I guess that I'm curious for you what it means to bring a figure with such a, a violent and loaded history mm -hmm. down to the ground mm -hmm. and what it means to also play, create a place of encounter where you pause and think. You're not just erasing and removing his mm -hmm. name, but you're putting it in its place, so to speak. At least that's how I'm reading it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of question why, you know, we've monuments are always above our heads, you know, um, you know, and it's questionable about who these figures were. Why well, it's always this sense of wanting to emulate something, but you know, um, human beings are complex and it's not all fabulous, you know, and most of the things that are in the sky that we have erected above our heads are really monuments to mediocrity and not excellence. Um, and they're actually, not even just mediocrity, it's atrocities, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but there's this idea of, you know, things being accessible at your feet, you know, I mean, the, you know, we do have at your feet monuments, they're, they're all tombstones, you know, or, you know, we're just uh, graveyards, you know, um, where we put our treasure dead, <laughs> you know, um, actually in a sense is, 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 is our greatest sort of tribute to people. Um, so it's interesting why we think it always has to be above our heads when it's really, I guess, where our reality and where we're most connected is at our feet. You have you know, created a, a proposal that shows an encounter mm -hmm. with your own feet as artist and, and this... Um, reclaimed Water Columbus. Mm -hmm. Your work has now been shown um, across the Highline network, including um, in Austin, Texas, where you teach. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced your work in public space or have you seen other people encounter this work? You know, it's funny. It, it's not so much that I've seen other people encounter it um, because, you know, I did see it when it was... Uh, opened at uh, Waller Creek uh, in Austin. So we sort of had an opening there. Um, I did eventually see it at Buffalo Bayou where they actually did beautiful, um, you know, well, here, we, I guess you could use the word, monumental kind of light box sculptural presentations of it, um, you know, uh, in beautiful field park area uh, across from the judicial building in Houston. Uh, and, but, you know, those weren't times where there were a lot of people around. Um, I think, I think maybe sort of the most um, salient encounter was probably when it was um, in the New York times, when they were um, announcing the project and that people's response, oddly enough and interestingly enough, to the poster was uh, wanting to know from me, you know, where was it on the High Line? They didn't get the, high, the whole idea of the High Line network. They thought this was physically somewhere on the High Line. <laughs> they wanted to know when, you know, when <laughs> can they go see it? When is it going to be on the ground, I guess, <laughs> the High Line, which actually is really great they they thought it you know it was a picture of a thing that um existed 
um, I don't know if it should exist, but then that really told me that the poster was successful. I guess to, to follow up on that, if you had the opportunity to realize this, is that something you'd be interested in or is it really for the purpose of provocation or, or speculation? Like if you, you, you asked if you should, and Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering if you could, (laughs) would you want to see this, Mm. um, installed? Yes, because I'm thinking about somebody happening upon it. You know, I, I'm really intrigued with that idea of maybe it is up on the high line and somebody, you know, stumbles upon it, walks across it, you know, looks down and all of a sudden it's there. This, you know, this access great in the shape of Columbus with, you know, with the words reclaimed water on it. And, and, you know, and if it sort of if it sort of awakens some of these thoughts in their heads as they stand next to it or on top of it, you know, actually would be interesting. You know, besides its success as a poster, you know, if it has if people have that response to it in the physical world, that would be great. In thinking about the word reclaimed. Um, you presented it, you know, in one way around these kind of these harmful legacies of Columbus and the act of Columbusing and, mm-hmm. and kind of taking that which is not and could not be yours. I also think about reclaiming as a an important, powerful mm-hmm. act. Exactly. When, when you're thinking about public spaces that are being reclaimed what forces are are people working against and and what kind of tactics or artistic means do you see people using to reclaim? I always feel like I really don't know that much. As I said, you know, these things were brought to me just within the last year or two. Uh, but then again, it's happened to all of us just within the last year or two. You know, I don't know if there's been besides my own sort of gestures, you know, I don't have any sort of direct interaction with, with, you know, how, how people are even taking all of this in yet, you know? Um, Yeah. That's, it's kind of a difficult question for me to answer. I feel like it's a little too big for me. Are there ways for you that you aim to maybe not reclaim, but, um, Are there ways that you find a relationship with public space and public memory, taking it away from what everyone's doing and thinking about how you find, how do you find your path, whether to claim or reclaim public space and public memory? You know, here, let me take a step back. As I said, I've only come into sort of a consciousness of this fairly recently um, but before the New York Times project, um, I, you know, I, I made a I need, I made a work um, for a show called Alchemy and Brick uh, in Brooklyn, um, and that piece actually sort of inspired the piece that I did for um, for the article in the New York Times. It was called um, "Persistent Resistance of the Liquid Land," and I think it was all me listening and, you know, and taking in um, all of these things that were going on about, you know, taking down these monuments, Charlottesville, um, last spring, 
that my idea for this show, for Alchemy, and Alchemy was really a show where, you know, the curators who were Jenny Giroux and Elizabeth Ferrer at Brick were really looking at the artwork of, you know, artists, women artists who, you know, use sort of materials in unexpected ways. Um, but I was really intrigued by sort of the idea of, of the alchemists, the science. Um, at the time, when you think of medieval times, in a way, sort of the alchemists and what they understood about alchemy, being able to have the power to transform materials into, you know, into gold and silver, um, sort of the spiritual connection between materiality um, and, and, and well, spirituality and materiality and ourselves, in a sense, is, you know, was so wonderfully aspirational and empowering. Um, and when I thought of all of that and thought of the situation now with, with, with you know, these monuments, um, it made me start to pay attention to public spaces, to these monuments in public spaces. And for me, it was, I live near to Prospect Park in Brooklyn and I walk, you know, through Prospect Park, oh my God, so many times. And I just never um, pay attention to, to the monuments that are there. And I think at that time, it was probably in January or February, um, I was walking in Prospect Park, at the top of Prospect Park is Grand Army Plaza, and it was the first time I really looked at the Soldiers and Sailors Monument that I walk under all the time. I really paid attention to it and noticed this African-American figure that was part of this assemblage sculpture. And he was this very young African-American man, but um, I could tell from the way he was dressed that he was probably one of the sailors and he was holding a gun and he was sort of pushed near the ground and he just had this expression of such calm and confidence as if he was surveying, you know, the battlefield or whatever was coming. And he was just ready and poised and composed. Um, and he sort of became this sort of, um, he was the alchemist for me. He was the person who could, could transform and change things. He was sort of this feeling of empowerment in this moment of confusion and disappointment that we were all living in and that I realized affected me more than I knew. There's a phrase I love that you've written um, when talking about the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Arch in Prospect Park and what it meant to um, walk by it many times and then take that experience with you on the road as you worked. And, and you've written, he came with me and he has been with me since. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about that feeling? I don't know. I think maybe it's this, it's, it's sort of this idea of having avatars or having, you know, some, some, something that's bigger than all of us. That's part of us that strengthens us. Um, that keeps us sort of connected as opposed to disconnected. Um, and that has nothing to do with race. It just has to do with humanity. Um, I think that's more of it. Um, I think in my artwork, I'm always looking for connectedness. I'm, you know, 
I actually, I have a, you know, I, I find it problematic that, especially if you're an artist of color, you know, they're always hurling the term identity <laughs> to be you as if you're questioning your identity. I mean, I know who I am. I've always known who I am. I'm not questioning my identity at all. Um, you know, but that's the thing that gets posited on us, you know, as opposed to realizing, you know, everybody is dealing with issues of identity. You know, all artists make <laughs> things um, that relate to their identity. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm always looking for um, the things that connect us, um, the way that the physical world is sort of... Um, the way we occupy the physical world and the way we are connected and interconnected, sort of the way materiality and, and our narrative histories and, you know, just our human existence, all of that is just, it's interconnected. It's, it's not disconnected. In, in thinking about those connections, you're an artist and person who operates uh, across spaces. You're born in Trinidad. Uh, you, you live in... Brooklyn, and you teach uh, in Austin at the University of Texas. For you, what does public space look like in each of those places? Or another way to maybe say this is, you know, how do you operate across those spaces in ways that are meaningful to you? You talk about public space. Um, maybe it's, I think for me, the way that I'm thinking about public space right now is where I feel safe and being aware of where it's not safe. We're in a moment where um, as, as a person of color, um, as a woman of African descent, you know, um, I'm very aware of, you know, of my safety and where I don't feel safe. And I think, you know, moving between places like New York and Austin. And last year I was in New Orleans for a while during the Joan Mitchell um, residency. Just the way that black bodies are considered in all of these spaces and, and, you know, and where we feel more safe as opposed to other places. I think that's, I think that's really my consideration when I'm thinking about public space right now. How do you think about that? that question of safety in relationship to Austin, public spaces, public culture? Um, I think I'm just starting to really pay attention to public spaces when I'm in Austin now. Um, Austin is a newer space for me still. Uh, I think the thing that I'm aware of in Austin is sort of the... Um, is sort of the lack of diversity. Um, I'm sort of used to so much more diversity um, in New York. You know, um, there is not that much diversity in Austin. Um, and maybe I feel much more conspicuous there than I do here. That, that's, the, yeah, that's the extent of sort of the things that I'm aware of when I'm there. In a space like that, where you feel more conspicuous, how do you make artwork? Or does that affect your ability well, I to don't, make artwork? I, I, you know, I'm not making artwork out of doors. I mean, you know, I, I make 
artwork indoors. So I don't know if that really affects the way that I make artwork. Um, if you're talking about sort of like my mental space, my mental space might be a bit different down there. Um, I think that might be the difference. You know what I'm saying? More than my physical space. You teach on a campus where several years ago, um, a series of Confederate monuments were removed. Um, and as a result, the state legislature has been scrambling to figure out ways to protect other Confederate and racist symbols in public space. Is that something that's come up in your classes or just in your own experiences in walking the streets and, and, and seeing that kind of clash between a, a changing of the symbols and also a kind of re-entrenchment of, uh, of a racist order? Well, actually, those... Um... Those monuments were only removed two years ago. It was the seventh, the summer of 2017. Um, and actually, I wasn't in Austin at the time. And, the, you know, the university, I, you know, believed that um, the removal of those um, monuments were important. It didn't reflect the values of the university. Um, so that was the decision they made. Uh, I don't know how many, because it was removed in the middle of the summer, I don't know how many students were really uh, aware of it I wasn't I was only aware of it last year uh, you know <laughs> they were gone actually um, I think probably from my time uh, in Austin something that relates um, that sort of um, maybe um, speaks to this more in d- downtown uh, the Capitol building on the lawn of the Capitol building the previous fall they had placed a new monument to African-American achievement on the lawn. And that monument was protested by, uh, I guess you would call them um, white supremacist groups. They actually marched when they were, you know, for the opening, they actually came and they marched in, you know, ski masks, I believe. I don't know. I didn't go. (laughs) I stayed home that weekend. I actually live downtown, you know, in Austin, not far from the capital. Um, But other students went, um, folks from the university went in in support of the monument. Um, But, you know, having sort of that interaction there like that really, really puts it front and center that, you know, in this moment that the achievements of African-Americans in Texas would, you know, would not be celebrated or, or you know, would be, you know, or, or would be sort of denounced in that way by any group. It's just, it's just um, so disheartening and um, amazing to me. This is a, a big question. So I, I say it knowing that there's this great sense of reinvention and also, as you said, these, you know, really profound clashes. Who can have a hand in shaping the present and therefore future of public space from your point of view? Well, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it's public engagement, you know. It's like, here. Yeah. Being a citizen of any country is a huge responsibility. And I think what we forget is how important that is, right? And how actually it's bigger than we think. 
And we keep expecting other people to do things for us. But as citizens, you know, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to protect things, to protect our way of life, to protect democracy, to protect, you know, just just civil behavior, just to, you know, to protect each other's safety. And I think we have forgotten that that is what it means to be a citizen, you know. Um, so I think it's everybody's responsibility. Uh, I sort of... Um, I sort of bristle a little bit that people always want to turn to the artists. I mean, art can do so much, yes, but you know, it's it's all of a sudden doesn't become our job to do to to do that. I mean, the wonderful thing about art is that it can do those things, but I am very wary of you know people trying to create you know prescriptions for artists and art to do those things. You know. because then, in essence, it'll take away what the power of what art can do when all of a sudden, you know, we have to answer to these sort of prescriptions. But I think it's everybody, and that's why this is a period of awakening, and it's consciousness. And consciousness is not always comfortable. Consciousness is not always safe. Um, you know, you know, I've been shaken out of my bubble of whatever safety presumed safety i believe i have to realize that no it's not what i think it is and it's something that i always have to fight for and i always have to protect for everybody not just for myself nicole awai thank you so much for this conversation and for your work thank you for having me tune in next episode when we speak with toronto's coco guzman about democracy and missing cat posters. You can listen to Monument Lab and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, remember to leave a rating or review. It really helps. The Monument Lab podcast is supported by the Serdna Foundation. This podcast is written and produced by Paul Farber and Justin Geller. Designer and associate producer is William Roy Hodgson. Sound engineer, Justin Geller. Editorial coordinator, Steph Garcia. All music on the podcast is original by Mokita. I'm your host, Paul Farber. For more, visit us at monumentlab.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.